0: Welcome in to another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by, by my co-host, Connor Hope. Uh, and Connor, we're getting down to it. March is on Sunday. We're almost there. And this, this past week, and really this past week, has felt a little bit like March Some crazy upsets here and there, um, particularly at the top of the polls, uh, a place where we had largely seen a gap created. Uh, Those teams sort of came back to earth uh, this past week and over the weekend. I don't think anybody has suffered uh, from that upset bug more than Duke, though. Uh, Last week, lost by 22 on the road to NC State, and then earlier this week, lost in double overtime by 12 against a a pretty bad wake forest team um i don't know where you stand on duke but i'm completely off the blue devils bandwagon
1: yeah and, and i tweeted uh right after they lost to wake forest um in double overtime that uh duke might be better off dropping a few seed lines um i joked that they might be better off as a 15 seed than a two seed but but really duke Duke, and I've said it before, um, and I've mentioned it to you before, they play to the level of their competition, and that allows them to beat some really good teams. It also makes them vulnerable to lose to some teams that they should absolutely crush, a la Wake Forest. Um, and the fact that Duke had, what was it, a nine-point lead with about two minutes left in the second Um was that right they they were like a minute and a half two minutes left they had a 9 they were point up, lead
0: by like 10 with like a minute and a half left yeah. or something like that
1: and and then to, to to just absolutely kind of die down down the stretch and then when you got into the the second overtime they just let wake forest win that game um you know they they're a team that if they get past the first first weekend they I still think they're a true threat to go deep, make a Final Four. Um, but they're a team that if I were to take a, a high seed and say that they could lose or I think they will lose in the first weekend, it'd probably be Duke.
0: We've talked about it the past couple episodes when we, we've brought up Duke about them being a team that we could see winning it all or a team that could we could see losing in the first round and not be surprised at either result. At this point, though, I would be very surprised if they make it past the Sweet 16. I think some of the inconsistency we've seen this week um, has been alarming. It's been probably two months now where their half-court offense has looked really limited. They don't have really any shooters. They're they're great in transition, right? We know what Trey Jones can do. He's still not a great shooter. Uh, Neither is Cassius Stanley or Wendell Moore, and none of those guys. You feel comfortable with creating their own shot off the bounce in a stagnant set, which Duke tends to be in because they don't have any real shooters on the court and nobody really respects um, Matthew Hart's ability to do anything unless Trey Jones creates for him. Their half-court offense runs through Vernon Carey, essentially is Vernon Carey, as as well it should for how good he is and how dominant he can be on the post. The problem is he's their only option. And defenses have started to really key key in on him and, and try and make other guys beat them. And Dukes really struggled to do that. And you couple that with what in November, December was a truly elite defensive Duke team. They still have that potential playing just average on the defensive end, sometimes not good at all. Right. I mean, even though they played 50 minutes against Wake Forest, Wake Forest has no business scoring 113 or however many they did on a defense like Dukes that has the potential of Dukes. UNC almost scored a hundred on them. I know that was another overtime game, but you take those five minutes away, they shouldn't have scored ninety in those forty minutes, whatever it was. You shouldn't let NC State score eighty eight on you. Right, like their half court offense issues are one thing and I think those aren't going away. But you couple that now with the way their defense has regressed, those I, I'm there are major alarm bells going off for me about Duke and Duke's potential.
1: Yeah, and and part of it is is that while they don't shoot particularly well from deep, they also don't necessarily have the size to be behind besides Vernon Carey, um yeah. and you could argue DeLaurier has the size, but outside of those two, who's their who's their biggest Matt Matt Hurts probably their next biggest guy on the floor and he's what 6'8, 6'9. Um yeah, and
0: he's been he's been relegated to essentially a Solely perimeter role because of how He gets handled down low
1: right So they that that, That's what really gets me is that They they can't really play a Perimeter focused Style of play and they Don't necessarily have the depth Down low to really do much There either um, outside of You know Vernon Carey And and really when it comes down to It it's been Vernon Carey and Trey Jones With a sprinkling of Cassius Stanley Here and there and Mm. Um, that's not going to win you uh, six games in a row
0: as good as Trey Jones is he can't be your number two option Uh, like uh, if you're going to win a championship he cannot be your number two offensive option because he just that's not his repertoire that's not his skill set no and then there's I I think we talk about Duke and Duke sort of taking the headlines and that's kind of overshadowed what's been a, a rough week for San Diego State too suffered the first loss over the weekend at home to a 500 UNLV team, uh, which I think raised a lot of eyebrows and then followed that up with a six point win over Colorado state had to come back to win that game. Um, Certainly not playing their best of late. Do you have any concerns with the way San Diego state is playing uh, the past week or so?
1: Yeah. I mean, I obviously whenever you, you lose um, to a team like UNLV, you're gonna you're gonna be concerned. However, I will say this: their defense in both those games still looked really good. It was it was mainly in both those games an offensive issue. Um, they scored a total of they they averaged about sixty four and a half points between the two games. Uh, they scored sixty six against Colorado State and then sixty three against UNLV. Um, Colorado State. I think highlights an issue that we knew was kind of coming for San Diego State in which uh, Nico Carvacho the, was clearly the best post player in that game, and uh, they didn't. San Diego State just didn't have an answer for him, really, down low. Um, and then later in the game, they finally started getting hot from deep and pulled away uh, in the last five minutes, but... Um, they're going to need Mensa to come back. And, and I've heard that he's now aiming to come back by the start of the NCAA tournament, which is good, uh, but it doesn't give him a whole lot of time to acclimate himself with the rest of the team uh, before they start right. playing high-level competition. Um, so I, 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 I'm concerned um, because they didn't score well against two, uh, two bottom-half defenses because um, mm-hmm. neither UNLV or Colorado State are elite defenses, and, and they actually both average over 70 points of, of points scored on defense. So um, the fact that they g- both gave up less than 65 is uh, – or less than 66, I guess, is, is concerning. Um, with that said, I think the defense that San Diego State has – it has been as consistent as anyone in the country. So,
0: 100.
1: They, their, their downfall is going to be not being able to hit shots, um, which hasn't happened a ton this season. Uh, but, you know, whether they had lost these games to UNLV and Colorado State or not, that would have been my my biggest concern because that's probably where they're weakest.
0: Right. I, I was willing to chalk up the UNLV loss as just an off shooting night because for the first 30, 35 minutes, that's really what it was for them. That just didn't seem like they were in rhythm offensively. The defense gave them a chance, and it's going to give them a chance in every game they play, no matter how far they go in the NSA tournament. Their defense is that good, and Malachi Flynn, normally when they've hit some of these ruts offensively, has been good enough to take over games and provide that offense for them that they've otherwise lacked. Uh, that UNLV game was the first time, maybe the first time since the San Jose state game, even though he saved Malachi Flynn saved them on a, on a last second three where their offense looked to be more of a problem. And that's all, that's all relative because I, I think if they want to be as good as we would expect a one seed to be, they'll need Mensa back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he will certainly help. Um, but the Colorado State game raised a little bit more red flags for me because now you're seeing some of that cold shooting extend past just one night. And it's still a, a, you know, a two-game stretch. It's not something over the course of a season you would be overly concerned about. But because we're so close to March and the NSA tournament and the start of the Mountain West tournament, it's something that can't snowball and become a, a trend. they got to kind of get back on track and find themselves offensively here because – they're running at a at a margin for error, so to speak, before the games start becoming really punitive
1: yeah and and i I think the way they ended that game against Colorado State, those last five minutes were really what helped alleviate some of my concerns um uh, mm-hmm. because as with any team if you're undefeated and you lose a heartbreaker at home to a team that you should definitely not have lost to um <laughs> on the home or or on the road um you know it, it it's understandable to come out the next game and, and be a little bit um I don't want to say apprehensive but but have that carry over mentally into the next game and and I know from watching that game that they had some tough calls in let's say the 15 to ten, fifteen to 7 minute time frame um left in the second half that could have uh easily sent a team that had just come off a tough loss Uh, into a downward spiral um, and and into another loss. And and they managed to come back um, from the deficit and then, you know, add on to it and, and win that game. So I, I I don't have any questions anymore about their mental toughness. I mean, they were down with seven minutes left uh, by seven um, Mm. and then ended up winning by six. So uh, their mental toughness, I think, is there. Um, we'll see how they respond. They have a tough game at Nevada uh, to end the season before they head to Las Vegas to, to uh, play uh, in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. And so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, handle the next week and a half. Um, but, but I definitely I don't question their toughness. My only question, my only concern is their their offensive firepower.
0: Uh, and let's talk about the Mountain West tournament a little bit here because conference tournaments start next week. Oh, my God. I, I I cannot wait. It's the best time of the year. The Ohio Valley kicks us off. we got a good number of them starting next week. I'll just kind of run down the list here. Ohio Valley starts us off. The Big South, A-Sun, Missouri Valley, the SOCON, um, which is going to be a lot of fun. CAA, WCC, Summit League. Without Mike Dom, Horizon League, Northeast, Patriot, American East, Mountain West, all next week. So there's going to be a lot of really fun, true March action going on. Um, but I want to dive into the Mountain West real quick, Connor, um, because I, I think of these, that's going to be one of the most entertaining tournaments to watch, simply because it's going to be a matter of the San Diego State hang on and and win the conference tournament or do they suffer another defeat somewhere along the way?
1: Yeah. And, and it's not, you know, it's one of those tournaments where because San Diego state has such a lead um, and is so far ahead of the rest of the conference, despite that loss to UNLV that people might write off as, you know, an easy, an easy, uh, conference tournament, you know, one where they don't really have to watch because San Diego state is going to win it. Um, but but I think it's it, I mean it has a lot of tournament implications because mm-hmm. you know they have outside of San Diego State two uh, two games separating the next five teams Utah State Nevada Boise State UNLV and Colorado State so they're all right next to each other it's played on UNLV's home floor which hasn't really been a factor in the past but um, that that could play a factor and. You know, I, I it could be that uh, Utah State wins or San Diego State wins, which would have no effect on the bubble. Um, mm-hmm. But if boy, if Nevada, Boise State, UNLV, or Colorado State win that tournament, uh, and I think that Nevada and Boise State are probably closer to winning it, you know, having the talent right. to win it, than the other two. Um, that that's a bid. Stolen right there. And, and they may not knock... think
0: Utah State is safe no matter what? I don't know if you Utah...
1: well, that's what I'm saying is that I don't know if that, that win knocks Utah State off and not another Power okay. Five conference, but um they're going to knock someone that would otherwise be in off if they win this conference tournament. So, you know, outside of Utah State, who obviously wants to win it to secure their spot in the tournament, pretty much every every other team in the in college basketball outside the mountain west need like wants san diego state to win this tournament because it saves them the hassle of having to deal with uh, a a bid stolen i mean there's what three three bid steal opportunities maybe maybe four um in this first week and and the mountain west conference is definitely Mm -hmm. one of them
0: the wcc is obviously another one we know gonzaga is going to be in at this point i think we know byu is going to be in um I think there's still a bit of a question mark about St. Mary's. Um, they may need to win or at least beat BYU or Gonzaga, uh, but they may end up as as the four seed in the, in the WCC tournament. That one, they set it up a little bit weird in order to give the top seeds a, a bigger advantage. Um, but that one uh, from the semifinals on is going to be really high-level basketball and a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, for sure, and... St Mary's is set up where they can essentially earn their way in without um, winning the tournament. Uh, mm. if they they don't even need to beat Gonzaga to, to end the season. I think if they win their game at Santa Clara um, and then take on San Francisco, which is the team that I think probably ends up with the six seed um, and San Francisco if they if they win their next two games, Right, they they'd probably still mm. be a quad two neutral site game for St. Mary's, and then if they beat BYU in the in the semifinals, they'd have a quad one and a quad two win. Um, you know, with their loss presumably being against Gonzaga, their next two, their only other two losses, so they still have a shot at an at large. Um, I think that it's probably it, it, they need. It to be you know a win against BYU or Gonzaga, and then their only loss to be against BYU or Gonzaga, which is mm-hmm. very possible and probably what's going to happen. Um, but if they can do that, uh, there is an outside shot, and I know I've shared this with you at, at a four-bit WCC because I think Gonzaga is yeah. definitely safe, BYU is definitely safe, assuming Saint Mary's can pick up the the win uh at Gonzaga, or you know, the win against mm. BYU, they probably are an at large team at that point. Because if it's a team like Pacific that just happens to go on a tear, and I don't think Pacific beats Gonzaga, um, but if something were to happen, because we've seen crazier, they could lose to Pacific. Um, and still be in, which would be a four-bid situation. So I think that the WCC gets three. I think St. Mary's does make it. Um, but that, that's going to be another fun one because I think a lot of teams at the top are going to be rooting for BYU and St. Mary's because I think an extra loss by Gonzaga in, the w, in WCC play probably knocks them down to a two-seed.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And the way all these bubble teams are losing, St. Mary's might be safe with the first four as maybe a worst-case scenario uh, that may benefit from the bubble just continuing to get right. weaker and weaker, it feels like. Uh, I, I want to look at two other of these tournaments because I think there's potential for two other uh, of these mid tournaments to be multi-bid leagues or multi-bid potential uh, with the Missouri Valley and the SoCon. Missouri Valley, Northern Iowa is projected to be a 10 or 11 seed. Uh, Some have them in that 8-9 game, Um, but they're in a good spot for an at-large bid as long as they don't slip up again uh, in between now and the start of the Missouri Valley tournament. Uh, The SOCON's in a similar position with East Tennessee State, although both UNC Greensboro and Furman are pretty high in the net. Um, I don't think either of them have the non-conference resume uh, and, and the quad metrics to match up with East Tennessee State, though. Um, if Northern Iowa were to lose in, in that tournament, whether it be in the finals or semis, and East Tennessee State were to lose in the SOCON tournament, I think that both of those would end up being multi-bid leagues. Uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, East Tennessee State probably has to lose in the in the championship to either Furman or UNC Greensboro. Um, it just Just kind of the way it shakes out. Um, Northern Iowa, because the Missouri Valley is a slightly better conference top to bottom, could probably lose in the semis. I also think that they're further ahead in terms of their resume um, as it currently stands. Uh, but who knows? I mean, both those teams are right on the cut line. Um, that said, and and neither of them, because they're both the one seeds, have the opportunity to pick up a win against a UNC Greensboro, um, or the, or like Southern Illinois, for example, or, or Bradley, which, which would, which would kind of help, um, them sustain a loss against a Loyola Chicago or a Furman. So, um, yeah, so, but, but I do, I, I have the SOCON actually as close to, they might end up being one of my top five conference tournaments to watch. Um, when I, when I release that sometime this weekend. Plug it, plug it. Just because they're, the top three in that conference are so much better than anyone probably gives them credit for, that mm-hmm. even if East Tennessee State wins and the other two don't make the tournament, those three games, or two games, I guess, are going to just be fun to watch. Um, Missouri Valley also is probably going to end up somewhere in my top ten for the same reason it's a bid steal opportunity with you know one two three four five six seven teams with winning records in the conference um no real bad teams in the missouri valley outside of illinois state and evansville uh the rest of them are eight and nine or better Um, wait
0: you mean evansville is bad do we need to tell kentucky fans
1: don't even mention it to them. You do, you do not want to deal with that. Um, now, Evansville is is uh, zero and sixteen in the Missouri Valley. Um, so, but the, the four and a half games separates Northern Iowa from Missouri State. So, mm-hmm. you're looking at going to very competitive um, basketball. Granted, the only team in that conference that seems to be able to consistently win away from home is Northern Iowa. Uh, so it could end up just being a cakewalk, but all of them are going to be, I think pretty good games. Same with the SoCon. SoCon, those teams are a little bit better away from home. Um, so I think that, you know, the Woffords and Chattanoogas are going to put up a little bit more of a fight. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll see, you know, even for them outside of the Citadel, VMI and, and Sanford, they're all right there. So, uh, those are the two I think those are the two conference tournaments this week that everyone should watch because
0: 100%.
1: Those two are if not bid steal opportunities, um they're opportunities to watch two of the better uh mid majors play prior to the NCAA tournament. So, um whereas we're, we're pretty certain that one of those three teams in the WCC is going to win that tournament and I'm pretty certain that it's going to be either Utah State or San Diego State that wins the Mountain West. Um, I would give you and I a little bit more of a shot, you know, a little bit more of a chance to win, but that SOCON tournament is going to be fantastic because even though I I agree with you, East Tennessee State's probably a step above the rest, Furman and UNC Greensboro are not teams that you can sleep on.
0: No. I think either of them get in uh, along with East Tennessee State. That's going to... Um, potential upset waiting to happen in the NCAA tournament, depending on, on who they were to draw um, should they get in. Uh, but real quick, before we move on, the other tournaments going on that week, give me a team or two that you're watching um, that you like to potentially be dangerous uh, should they win and make the state tournament.
1: Oh, geez. Um... <laughs> I'll,
0: I, I have three that I'm interested in in watching uh, there's vermont in the america east simply because vermont is has become a program that is consistent um we know they play at a high level and they have somebody who can be the best player on the court against the power five team and anthony lamb so yeah. i be paying attention to them make sure they get through the american east uh, i'll pay attention to radford in the big south um Radford made the NC tournament two years ago as a 16 seed, um, almost made it last year. They lost to Gardner-Webb, I think, at the buzzer or right before the buzzer um, in the conference tournament. Uh, they're a team that plays really good defense, have some playmakers offensively, but are, are kind of in that Virginia mold where it's defense and just enough offense. I, I think if they get in, their defense could be a problem for somebody in the right matchup, assuming they do don't get a 16 seed. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see what a guy like Grant Riller can do in a March situation for Charleston in the CAA tournament. Cause they're, they're there I think right now around the five seed in the CAA. And every now and again, we see some of these teams in smaller conferences finish in the middle of the pack in the regular season and go on a, on a run and earn a surprise bid. Uh, we can talk about the Missouri Valley. That was Bradley last year and then they ended up giving Michigan State a run in the first round before losing. Um, I, I think Charleston could be that team uh, in the CAA because they have a guy who could change a game and take over a game in, in Grant Riller. So those are three others just sort of keep an eye on. I would make sure you watch the WCC, uh, the Mountain West, Missouri Valley, SOCON first. But maybe keep an eye on those and, and maybe have the remote ready to flick over if they get into some of those good games.
1: Yeah, for for me... Um, in terms of the game I'm looking forward to, it's probably and if it happens, gonna be that North Florida Liberty game, um, because North Florida might not have the one true star. Um, you know, Garrett Sams is good, Carter Hendrickson is good, but uh, they don't necessarily have that one true star. But they have five players averaging double digit scoring. Um, they they share the ball relatively well um and i think everyone looks at liberty as oh they're you know 8 steps ahead in in the a sun um but north florida split their games with them uh, you know they lost at liberty by 5 beat liberty by 1 at home so it's not that that matchup has been good both times they've met and the potential rubber match between the two schools i think is going to be um one that, that people should pay attention to because uh, while I think Liberty might be the best shot you know one of the better teams at, at, for like a 12-5 upset um, mm-hmm. they're not guaranteed to be able to get into the the NCAA tournament so uh, mm-hmm. that, that's that's where I am I think that they um, <clears throat> that, that'll be a good game I don't, I don't think the rest of the conference tournament is going to be fun but that individual game if that Matchup were to happen will be one that I think everyone uh, should watch.
0: But I want I want to move forward here. Uh, the conference that I think is going to end up having the most fun tournament um, is going to be the Big Ten. Uh, we've talked all year about how much fun the Big Ten has been, how deep it is. Uh, Maryland's starting to pull away at the top, but really one through 10 one through eleven um, is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and Connor, I know you talked to Anthony Brown. We'll bring him in here on the podcast now. Um, talk about the Big Ten and how much fun that's going to be here down in the next couple of weeks with some bubble teams um, trying to play their way in. So I'm here
1: with Anthony Brown of Busting Brackets. Anthony is a Big Ten expert that we wanted to bring on to discuss just what's happening in the Big Ten. Anthony, thank you for coming on. Um, I know that if you look at the Big Ten standings right now, there's five and a half games between the number one team and the number 12 team. Everyone's really close. Uh, Just three games separate the number one team and the number seven team in that conference. What do you make of how competitive this conference has been outside of Nebraska and Northwestern?
2: Well, first of all, Connor, thank you for having me on. Um, I think that the Big Ten where it all starts is with the road. It's like the all the road teams in the Big Ten have struggled. I mean, there are some teams that have gone on the road and succeeded. Maryland beat um, the Maryland Terrapins, being one of them, um, beating the Michigan State um, Spartans in the Breslin Center, um, going on the road and beating Illinois and things of that nature. But it's really been tough to beat teams on the road, and whereas the adverse, you have um, home teams winning in excess, Um, Maryland being another team that, you know, is undefeated at home. I think um, Rutgers is the only other team that's undefeated at home, so I think it's just a difference of extremes versus how tough the conference has been, you know, on the road versus at home, and then down the stretch, you're seeing a lot of teams having to um, exude a lot of energy trying to win those important games going towards the Big Ten tournament and um, ultimately have a chance to get in the NCAA tournament with a high seed.
1: You've touched on Maryland quite a bit. Maryland is currently in sole possession of first place in the Big, 12, Big Ten standings. And yeah. you yourself are very close to the Maryland program. You follow them very closely, Anthony. Um, mm. Usually when we're heading into March, as we are right now, uh, people are very weary of of Maryland. Um, people don't trust Mark Turgeon to coach in March. But this team between Jalen Smith and, and Anthony Cowan and, and some of the other um, players on that roster has a different feel to it this year than it has in years past should maryland be a team that people actually trust in the 2020 uh, ncaa tournament
2: um i think so and i and i believe that mark turgeon gets a lot of fa- gets a lot of flack for you know um great recruiter but he gets a lot of flack for how he plays as you said in the ncaa tournament um, but they went to the sweet 16 last year with bruno fernando Jalen Smith as a freshman, Anthony Cowan as a junior, and they got all the way to the Sweet 16 and lost by two points to an LSU team that matched up with them well. Um, But I think you can, I think people can trust um, the Maryland Terrapins. I think for me personally, I'd like to see them at least get to the Sweet 16 before I can make a judgment call on whether they can make a Final Four. I think they'd have to win that game whoever they play in order to, for me to have a good sense of, okay, this may be it. This may be the next team to win a national title, like the O2 team with um, uh, Steve Blake uh, and Gary Williams and um, the, the other point guard, Juan Dixon, there we go. Juan Dixon, that 0 2 te- O1, um, O2 team.
1: Yeah, and and I think I mean I don't know if you've been listening lately, but but Brian Ralph um, Brian has Maryland as his national championship pick right now, and and I don't disagree. I think right now, um, you know, they they have had uh, you know that loss at Ohio State, but prior to that, they were playing probably the best basketball uh, in the country, maybe the second best basketball in the country outside of Kansas, and yes. so. It, that loss at Ohio State, as you said, road games are always tough, especially this year in the Big Ten. They're, they're a team that, while I'm not going to necessarily go out on a limb and say I, I trust them in March, I, I think that you're right, that they they have what uh, feels like a team that can do some damage.
2: Um. So what I was going to say is um, I, I love the play of, you know, Dante Scott. Like some of the freshmen, Dante Scott – um, coming in and playing really well at the four when um, the uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Sorry, excuse me. No worries. Mitchell twins. There we go. When the Mitchell twins left um, midway through the season before conference play got started, it was I originally thought they, the Maryland basketball team was in trouble because they didn't have a lot of depth in the front court but I feel like it was addition by subtraction. They got much better as the um, season went along. And with Cole Merrill coming into the fold, so to speak, I think he'll be a good um, addition for them moving forward. I don't know how long he would um, take to rehab. And I think he needs a a full off season playing with the Terps um, to get, you know, fully prepared. I don't know if we'll see him, you know, in the playoffs, whether it's the Big Ten Ten Tournament or the NCAA Tournament. But um, that remains to be seen. But I think that ultimately, um, you can assess the Maryland Terrapins by the way they've played. I think they needed that Ohio State loss to ground them a bit because they have Michigan State up next, which is at home. And I'm thinking, I'm of the opinion that Michigan state could give them their first home loss. It's possible. So I think, like I said, they needed to be grounded, get back to work and um, get ready for Michigan state.
1: Yeah. And and I was going to actually jump into Michigan state. Um, Michigan state was a lot of people's preseason picks uh, pick Mm -hmm. to win the NCAA tournament this year. Obviously, the roster situation didn't work out quite the way they wanted it to um, heading into the season. So, you know, Langford is out, and, um, you know, their their full roster isn't there. Hauser wasn't ruled eligible. And so they didn't have the full strength of the, the roster that they thought they would have preseason. But they're, to me, a team that doesn't seem like they've improved improved much over the course of the season they've been really good from start to finish um, although they have struggled a bit against better competition throughout the course of the season what do you make of this this michigan state squad can can they be a factor in march or are they just a kind of a, a really good team that doesn't have the highest ceiling
2: well i mean when you look at cassius winston and xavier tillman are the two players that make this team go but I think where they're going to get the fir- how they're going to get the furthest is by the play of their X Factor, who I call their X Factor players. Um, Aaron Henry, Gabe Brown, Rocket Watts. Rocket Watts um, put up 21 against uh, I believe it was it was Iowa, um, last night. And he's played really well this season. He had, I think, maybe one or two 20 point games this season as well. So I think they can go as far um, as their role players can take them. Um, But Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman are the players that make this team go.
1: Yeah. Um, And then behind those two teams, you really have a litany of teams that have looked really good at points during the season and looked somewhat vulnerable at other points. I'm talking Penn State, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Rutgers, Indiana, Ohio State. I'll throw Purdue and Minnesota in there because I believe that they're both in the tournament mix. Uh, Purdue's looked better at points than I think Minnesota has. But what do you make of that kind of conglomerate of, of teams in the middle of the Big Ten that are separated by three and a half games on the win-loss column?
2: I mean, I think it's just a function of how tough the Big Ten has been. I mean, you look at... um A lot of the schedule as a whole, it's like you can win one game here, lose another game, go on a streak. That's the, you know, that's the function of college basketball in general. But in the Big Ten, it's a tough, it's a tough conference in particular. And, um, you know, I, I really think that it'll just depend on the last few games down the stretch to see who... And the Big Ten tournament to see who really can separate themselves and get a big run going in the NCAA tournament. I feel like um, teams like Iowa, Penn State, and um, Illinois have the best chance. I don't know about the others. Wisconsin. Wisconsin and Michigan, it's like I like the jobs that Greg Gard for Wisconsin and Juan, How- Juan Howard for Michigan have been able to do. Um, with their teams, but I'm not sold on them making a run, um, like I am Penn state, Iowa, or Illinois.
1: Yeah. So, so Michigan and Ohio state, um, were, uh, probably the two hottest teams heading into big 10 play. And both of of them have have tapered off a little bit. Um, Ohio state and Michigan are both starting to kind of get it together. Um, a little bit Michigan or Michigan's on a five, uh, five game win streak. Ohio state uh, is only on a one game win streak, but they've won six out of their last eight. So both of them, both of them are kind of on the upward swing. Um, why do you trust Ohio state more than Michigan?
2: Um, I trust Ohio state more than Michigan because I feel like they have a lot more continuity in terms of their ball movement, their inside scoring. Um, Caleb, Caleb and Andre Wesson, um, you know, played very well for Ohio State, especially Caleb Wesson. Um, it'll be interesting to me to see what other teams in the league, especially um, in the NCAA tournament, can try and neutralize his level of play. But I feel like um, Ohio State could give other teams in the NCAA tournament a tough out for the simple fact that they have solid guard play. They shoot the, from the perimeter well, but their inside scoring is their bread and butter. Just because um, teams have to key on Caleb Wesson, and even if like you try to key on him, he's so big and powerful in the paint that you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain them, essentially.
1: Right. Um, You also mentioned Iowa, and and I think Iowa is getting a lot of national attention because of the play of Luca Garza. Um, However, what we've seen in the past is that when Luca Garza has been neutralized, like he was in the second half uh, against Michigan State, where Xavier Tillman played, what might be described as the best defensive performance we've seen this season in an individual game um what does i what does iowa need to do to make a deep run in march besides kind of leaning on the play of garza
2: well they have to lean on the play of uh joe wieskamp and cj frederick i mean wieskamp averages 15 15 points and six rebounds a game cj frederick averages um 11 and He's a forty-six percent um, shooter from the perimeter. Um, I believe that in order for Iowa to make a deep run in the tournament, they can't be one-dimensional and depend on Garza all the time. They have to figure out a way to essentially get him out, get him moving, not have him in the paint so much. I mean, I know he's a good um, three-point three-point shooter as well. Um, but they can't essentially, you know, just depend on him to take them places. Iowa depending on Garza so much to get them to the promised land may lead to them tailoring off, mm-hmm. essentially.
1: Right. No, uh, and I think that's. I mean, Garza's incredibly difficult to defend. But once he run, once you run into a, a team that can defend. Uh, him in particular. Well, uh, I do agree. I think that Camp and, and Frederick need to step up because they're going to be the team, the players that need to win that game. Looking at the other end of the spectrum, we, we've talked about the, the kind of top teams um, in the Big Ten conference. There are three or four teams right now that are that are kind of teetering on the edge of the bubble. Uh, two that right now look to be on the right side of the bubble in Rutgers and Indiana. Two that look to be on the wrong side of the bubble in Purdue in Minnesota. Um, there's been a lot of talk about 12 uh, bid Big Ten. Um, how many of those four teams do you see making it into the NCAA tournament?
2: Um, I like Ruggers like, well, <clears throat> Excuse me. I like Rutgers to make it. I think they've been really impressive this season. Um, Ron Harper Jr. Geo Baker. Um, have been very impressive. Uh, And they, Rutgers, I believe, gave Maryland a run for their money, only lost by two points because Maryland let them hang around and um, was lax defensively. So I've been really impressed with Rutgers. I think that Indiana is another team that can possibly make the field. Um, But as far as um, Minnesota goes, I like I like them to make the tournament, but it they'd have to win out, honestly. They'd have to win out in the regular season. And also, um, if they're if they don't have a first round bye, I'm not sure if they're gonna have a first round bye. Um, but if they don't, then they have to at least get to the semifinals and put up enough put up an, a good enough performance to Impress bracketologists to help them get into the tournament.
1: Right. And I think uh, I want you maybe to touch on Purdue for a second because Purdue has one of the most interesting, um, I guess you could say, uh, resumes, where they have a win over Virginia, which is a win that's looking better and better by the week. They have a win that win over Michigan State uh, and Wisconsin at home and Iowa at home, and then they went on the road and beat Indiana. Um, but outside of that, they haven't won on the road at nearly the clip you'd expect from a from an NCAA tournament team. Um, even compared to the rest of the Big Ten, they haven't performed well on the road. And some of their other wins, namely VCU, hasn't looked quite as good as we thought it would be entering the the uh the season what do they have to do in the last three games plus the big 10 tournament to um make their resume a little bit better uh when it comes to their bubble chances
2: i mean i feel like they just need to keep feeding uh travion williams um and make and But they need to also make sure that they depend on their defense in order for them to try and get their – get a good seed. It's like get a good hold on the games. If they win – I don't know how many games are left in the season. Maybe if they win a good maybe four or five games headed into the end of the season, I think it will be good for their chances. They have to have a winning record in the regular season and put up a really really, um, good maybe one or two performances should they win a game in the Big Ten tournament. But I think it all depends on Travion Williams to get um, the ball rolling. He needs to have a good uh, last stretch of the season and a Big Ten tournament and um, really make some noise. But I'm confident in Matt Painter's ability to get the um, Boilermakers ready. Yeah,
1: and, and I think when you put them in the big – I mean, obviously you put any team in the Big Ten tournament. Um, that, that tournament's probably looking to be the most – the craziest in terms of how the results go. Because, uh, again, outside of Northwestern and Nebraska – none of those teams really have that much leg up on the rest of the conference. So I thought it would be fun. Um, We're three, we're three games away from the end of the season. So we're, we're right there, Um, you know, and, and the big 10 tournament being the last tournament played in college basketball before selection Sunday is always the tournament that people kind of have their eyes on um, the most. Which team at this point, and and I, I understand that Maryland does have that game and a half lead in the conference. Which team do you think uh, is going to win the the regular um, the regular season championship? Do you think Maryland kind of secures it in their next game or two, or do you think another team could come up? Because Maryland plays at Minnesota home against Michigan and Michigan State and hand at Rutgers. So they they don't have an easy road to finish the season.
2: Yeah, you're right. They don't have an easy road. Um I'd like I'd like to say that they would win it, but if they don't then I see Michigan State taking it or possibly in Iowa. Um I think if we're talking about the if we're talking about the regular season title, the um, Big Ten tournament is a different animal um, because I think that Maryland is most likely going to be a um, double bye, so their matchup, <clears throat> their the matchups that they get will just ha- will be a lot um, tougher in the Big Ten tournament. But as far as the regular season title, I think um, Iowa could take it. I think Illinois could take it. Maryland or um, Michigan state Penn State as well.
1: So I, next question I, I don't think there's any doubt in, in my mind, and I don't know about you, um, that mm-hmm. Luca Garza is the big Ten player of the year. Do you think that he is the clear front runner for national Player of the year, or do you think that there's another player in, in the nation that might uh, have a better uh, case?
2: Um, I think Garza has a good case. I look at somebody like um, uh, Udoka Azabuki as um another guy. Um, as far as um a third or fourth guy that I think I'm not too sure, but I think I think it could be taken by um national player of the year could be taken by a big man. I. I like Garza to take it, but um, outside of those two, I'm not sure. I want to know your opinion. Who do you think has a um, better chance of taking those?
1: I I think that if if Iowa wins the Big Ten or finishes in the top four, then Mm. I think Luca Garza has it nailed. If Iowa, and looking at their schedule, they have – a relative, not not the easiest schedule um, they play two more they play three games they have two home games Penn State and Purdue and then a game at Illinois um if Garza just blows through those three games then he probably wins it no doubt if they drop two games of the three so if they drop the game at Illinois and then drop Purdue or Penn State and he mm-hmm. doesn't look otherworldly I'm leaning with you I think it be, could be uh, Doak. I think it could also be Obi Toppin, and and, and I say that because Obi Toppin yes. can play all over the court. Um, he he does have a little bit of a more uh, even supporting cast behind him, so it isn't really just. I mean, Crutcher um, is is unbelievable as well, and so he and he doesn't have the numbers that Garza has, uh, but I think because of where Dayton is right now. Uh, in the standings, in the with their resume, with with everything that they've done so far this season, I think that Obi Toppin has a better case than a mid major athlete would normally. Final question of of this little uh, kind of round of of questions is, who wins Coach of the Year mm. in the Big Ten? Ooh,
2: that's.
1: 'Cause usually it goes to a team that's gone above and beyond and outperformed everybody or outperformed their expectations drastically, but there isn't really a team like that this year in the Big Ten.
2: Yeah, no. Um and looking at Warren dot and their standings in the <clears throat> their standings and whatnot on the Big Ten, um all of the teams it's like all of the teams have Um, above average or average um, quad one. Um, Win records, win-loss records. Um, I like Coach of the Year. I like Turgeon. I mean, I hope my Maryland pride isn't showing because I graduated from the school, but I like um, Maryland's Mark Turgeon. Uh, Who else? Pat Chambers for Penn State. Penn State, he um, Pat Chambers turned um, the Nitty Lions around. Because I don't... I If I'm not mistaken, they didn't have... I think they had a winning record, but they, I don't think they made the tournament last year, did they?
1: No, they, they did not make the tournament last year.
2: They did not make the tournament last year. Yeah. So they can't. So they can make the tournament this year. And I think Pat Chambers is a good candidate to win it. Um... I like Illinois' coach as well. Um, I'm not. Sh- I'm not so sure about Greg Guard or Juan How- uh, Howard. Even though Wisconsin and Michigan have withstood a lot, a lot more than I think most of the other teams have had to withstand. I mean, in regards to Wisconsin, Kobe King left. So, and I and I really felt like once he left. They would take a step back, not a big step back, but take a little bit of a step back. But they weathered the storm as a team, and you know, gotten I think to maybe fourth or fifth in the Big Ten right now. And you know, they could see themselves in contention for a uh, first round bye in the Big Ten tournament.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of I tend to agree with you. I think that when. Teams are this close, and for the most part, teams aren't drastically overperforming um, compared to expectations. I mean, the only team I think that you could say is wowing us with how they're performing um, would probably be a Penn State or a Rutgers, um, mm. just oh, because yeah. they're not tournament mainstays. But I agree with you. The way it's set up, if Maryland uh, snags and secures the the sole possession of that number one seed and the Big Ten regular season championship. Um, With the way the season's gone, I think you have to give it to Turgeon. Um, The only other coach that I could see winning it is if Penn State manages to tie with them in the Big Ten standings at the end of the season, in which case I think you could probably give it to Pat Chambers simply because Maryland opened up the season as the number seven team in the country. Um, And so when they both have the same conference record and what would presumably be at that point the same overall record – Pat Chambers' coaching job is probably a little bit better. Well, thanks for joining us, Anthony. Um, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and we, we look forward to uh, to watching the rest of the Big Ten season.
2: Yes, I do as well. Thank you, Connor. All right. So yeah, so
1: so Brian, as you heard, uh, Anthony, he he thinks Luca Garza is the front runner uh, to a National Player of the Year. Um, he's, he's still confident as are you that Maryland is probably the favorite to win, not only the regular season title, but also the, uh, national championship. Well, that too, but the big 10 tournament (laughs) title, um, just simply because they can win, you know, away from home. Um, and then, uh, and he thinks that Mark Turgeon, uh, is probably the coach of the year. Um,
0: so not, uh, i I would still give it toward to pat chambers <laughs> personally, but turgeon has got a got a good case too i guess
1: um so yeah so so that's 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 the big ten um i i think we we have just enough time now to talk about the last power six conference um if if we want to use that term uh that we haven't yet spoken about uh has perhaps the two best teams in college basketball, um, and and that's the Big Twelve. And uh, Brian, I know I know that you you follow the Big Twelve probably a little bit closer than I do, um, and, and I've obviously followed the top six teams. Um, mm-hmm. But is there is there a team outside of those top two teams that you feel has the ability to win the Big Ten or Big Twelve Conference Tournament?
0: No. Uh, The one team that people will point to is Texas tech. Um, and Texas tech is certainly capable of giving teams, um, a run for their money. And we, we've seen them play Kansas really well. We've seen them play Baylor really well. We've seen them play Kentucky really well. We haven't seen them though. win a lot of those games, obviously they had the big win over Louisville when Louisville was number one back in December. Um, but we know Louisville is a bit of a flawed team. Since then, though, Texas Tech sort of gained validation, I guess you could say, with a win over a West Virginia team that we now know uh, really isn't that good. Uh, this week, they they got, quite frankly, they got smacked by Oklahoma. Um, and I think Oklahoma secured their NCAA tournament bid uh, with that win. Lost that game, lost to Oklahoma State. Um for the most part, like they've taken care of business and they've been good uh, and they've lost to the Kansas, the Kentuckys, and been in those games. But they also have those losses, like the Oklahoma State loss, uh, a double-digit loss to TCU on their resume. That just don't look good. right? And that they lost at DePaul earlier this season as well, and that's one that uh, doesn't look as good now. They're, uh, to me, they're that team that... Uh, uh, Bunch of analysts and experts have been telling you that uh, watch out for them in March because no one's going to want to play them, and that's true. No one—I mean, they don't. The way they play defense, it's certainly not fun to go up against. And a coach like Chris Beard is not fun to go up against. Um, but I do think they're overrated in, in, in a stretch. Um, long answer to come around to—they're the team that has the best shot, but I don't think they have the potential to. I, I think we're looking at a, a a Baylor Kansas part three in the finals there unless iowa state does iowa state things and just wins the big 12 tournament because that's what they do
1: um yeah so outside of an iowa state uh (laughs) tournament run it seems to me so you think that oklahoma has secured their spot in the ncaa tournament which Mm -hmm. which presumably means that they're probably the conference with the most secure tournament bid number at five um do you think mm-hmm. that there's anything Texas can do to get in? Cause I, cause I don't think there's anything the other teams can do to fall out.
0: I think Texas would get interesting if they were to beat Baylor or Kansas. Um, now right now Texas is tied for fourth, um, in the big 12 with West Virginia and Oklahoma. Uh, and so there's still some seedings to be sort of figured out there over the next week and a half. Um, which could certainly play a role. What, what Texas needs to do to get in, uh, they, they close down here. They play at Texas Tech, which would certainly help their chances, I think, get them really back into the bubble conversation. At Oklahoma, uh, really, they, they just have to win one of those two, I think, to get back in the bubble conversation. And then make sure they take care of Oklahoma State at home. And then come conference tournament time, depending on their seed and whether they end up playing the one or the two in the semis, beating Kansas or beating Baylor. If they were to do that, I think they get in. But anything outside of that, um, I, I don't think the resume is enough.
1: Uh, do, if they if they make the tournament, do you think Shaka Smart saves his job for another year, or do you think he's gone no matter what?
0: I I, I was told before the season that it was, you know, they have to make the tournament because of, of how the season is gone. Uh, it's in the, and the fact that John B available, um, it's almost positive that they're going to make a change. Now, the momentum that would come with beating Texas tech on the road, followed by beating Kansas or Baylor to earn a tournament berth, uh, given his buyout, which is, uh, in the double digit millions, um, could, they could talk themselves into another year, maybe, um, but if you've paid attention to Texas over the past month, you have seen empty home arenas, uh, uh, lack of, uh, just a lack of energy around this program that shows you the fan base is sort of done with the Shaka Smart experiment. Uh, that could change again depending on how things go down the stretch because they have opportunities to sort of ignite that spark and, and kind of bring things back around. Uh, but I think almost everybody associated with the program has turn the page.
1: Um, of the of the three outside of Baylor and Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and West Virginia, um, all three have, have really struggled on the road um, mm-hmm. uh, away from home, really. Which of those three come NCAA tournament time, um, assuming that they're going to be in that probably 7 to 11 range? Um, West Virginia is probably going to be higher just because of their their midseason uh, performance but which of those three do you have the most confidence in going making the second weekend or or further in the ncaa tournament
0: i don't have confidence in any of them making the second weekend um texas Tech, i think is going to play a really good second round game uh before losing um uh, the way West Virginia is playing right now, I think they're going to get they're going to lose in the first round. I don't think it necessarily matters who they play; they just cannot find their offense. Oklahoma is a solid team, um, but I, I think they they're a one win max in the NSA tournament given a good matchup. So uh, Texas Tech would be the most likely. Um, they have the potential to. They have the talent to. They have the coach to. I, I just don't trust them to. Do it, but if one of those three were to, they're the team you you would pick to to make that. Right,
1: and then then the the ultimate question I think the question that everyone's kind of asking themselves after their first two bouts um, is Baylor or Kansas the best team in the country.
0: Kansas is, and I feel a little bit weird about Kansas because on one hand they don't feel as dominant as they have been, and I think that's why they weren't ranked number one until beating Baylor. Um, they rely so heavily on Devon Dotson and Dukas to kind of do everything, that if you're able to take one of those guys out of the rhythm, you can beat them. They've looked very beatable. Um, the problem is nobody's really done it yet. If you go back to their three losses on the season, the first one was in the opener against Duke, they didn't have Isaiah Moss for that game, who was their best three-point shooter. Obviously, would have made a difference in a game that was that close. And then they lost to Villanova by one. That was a game which Marcus Garrett, their best perimeter defender, got hurt, really didn't play in the second half. He would have made a difference. And the third loss, that first game against Baylor, now in the Fieldhouse, Dotson got hurt in the first half and didn't play from then on out, and he would have made a difference. So with a healthy roster, this Kansas team hasn't lost yet. That's something that I don't think a lot of people realize or take into account when talking about how good this Kansas team is when they've been fully healthy. They've been consistent. I don't think they have that dominant um, upside to where I, you have the confidence that they're just going to run through everybody because I do think there is a bit of a fragile ecosystem there with Dotson, Azubuque, and the sporting cast, which, again, when healthy uh, and everybody's there, all work together. But is Asbuke going to be able to stay out of foul trouble? Can people avoid rolled ankles, at one-off shooting night from Isaiah Moss, and suddenly things go south there. Um, but th- through 28 games, 29 games, Kansas has proven that they're the best team in the country.
1: Yeah, and I think what's interesting too is that, you know, with teams that have been, um, you know, really good on defense in the past, West Virginia, Cincinnati, uh, Virginia, San Diego State this year, um, even Baylor, like that that's the that is the thing that everyone talks about is is the defense. Mm-hmm. And Kansas is quietly putting together probably the best defensive performance of the season uh, of any team in the country. Um
0: yeah. they probably the best of the Bill Self era.
1: They've given up 70 points just 3 times this season. Um uh, they've won all 3 of those games. And you know, Ken Palm has them as the number 1 uh, adjusted defense by about a point and a half. Um so they, they're, they're a really solid defensive team. But, but again, it, it doesn't it's, – it's, they're not playing an exciting brand of basketball on either end of the floor, and I think that's why you get that weird feeling about them. It's this they're, – they're not, they're not flashy. Um, they're not going to run you out of the gym, mm-hmm. um, or at least they're going to slowly run you out of the gym. Kind of, kind of a lumber out of the gym. Um, they're sort
0: of, they're sort of Spursy, San Antonio Spursy, in that aspect, right? right. Where, um, to go back to when, when Duncan and the Spurs were there, uh, the, you know, the Miami Heat with the big three would come out and they'd beat you by twenty, but they'd be up by thirty in the first quarter, and you would know that you were going to lose to them. San Antonio would also beat you by twenty, but would just beat you by five every quarter until you looked up, and you ended up losing by twenty that's sort of how Kansas is where they just sort of methodically beat you for each of those four minute TV timeout sections. They'll beat you by a bucket or two. And then you look up half of the second half and you're down 25 and you feel like you're in the game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what they did during that three game stretch against BYU, Dayton and, and Colorado. They just kind of, yeah. and Dayton was the closest of the three games, but not, none of those three teams are bad. I mean, all three teams are top 25 teams. Um, and they just kind of made it look a little bit easy. Um, had us questioning Colorado. Had us questioning BYU. Um, and so, well,
0: there there are other reasons to question Colorado, but I'll I'll
1: digress. <laughs> Um. So yeah. So so I kind of I right now while you have Maryland, I have Kansas as as my national championship favorite. Um, at this point, and, and, you know, obviously we won't lock anything in until Selection Sunday, uh, but for me right I did, now.
0: I did go through um, Lucas Harkins, our, our Busting Brackets Bracketologist, went through his latest Bracketology update and kind of did my own middle, little tournament picks based on, on who he had, and I had Maryland beating Kansas in the final. So okay. uh, I I trust Kansas still to make a really long run.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at that, and yeah, I think Kansas definitely. If that's the Midwest region, they they get out of that um, because I think they match up well with pretty much every team on yeah. there. Um, so yeah, so so I think I mean that's that's where we're coming from. I think I think the Big Twelve, outside of a crazy run in the in, by some team in the Big Twelve tournament, um, has the clearest uh, bubble picture in that. I don't think any of the teams are now right now on the bubble on either side of the bubble. Um, yeah, Oklahoma might still be there, but, uh, I think most, most of them are either safely in or definitely out. Um, which is something that most other major conferences can't say.
0: I would agree. Although West Virginia is sliding quickly in the wrong direction and could find themselves there. Um, I think the big 12 is looking at five bids pretty solidly.
1: Yeah. Um, so I went through, I, as we did with uh, Anthony going through uh, predictions, who do you think, Wine do you think there's a tie first of all for the big 12 regular season championship? Um, yes. And who do you think wins the big 12 tournament?
0: I think Baylor does. I know I just talked about how good Kansas was. Um, I think Kansas is better than Baylor, but I think Baylor has more ways to beat you. Right. And in a one-game scenario, um, I would probably lean Baylor 52-48 in terms of a percentage. Okay.
1: Yeah, I I would go with with Baylor as well. Um, I I think that Kansas is going to find themselves vulnerable uh, in that, you know, I think they win that semifinal, but if I were to give a percentage, I, I would I would say that Kansas is more likely to make or less likely to make the final than Baylor, um, simply because I think Baylor matches up well with pretty much anybody in the conference, and, and Kansas has played some close games against teams like Texas Tech and, and uh, West Virginia, um, which, while, while they've won, I, I think that could open them up to perhaps having a semifinal uh, loss. But but I think Baylor has has the most complete team um, in that conference. Who do you think wins Big 12 Player of the Year?
0: Oh, man. Um, I think they would have given it to Jared Butler had Baylor beat Kansas over the weekend. Um, now I'm going to say they gave it to Devin Dotson. I I know Azubuque, I think, when he's on, is the most dominant player in the conference. Uh, but he has been somewhat inconsistent this season in terms of that level of dominance. Dotson has been Kansas' um, most consistent, high-quality player, high-production player. So I think, just like kind of most years, the Kansas point guard gets it a little bit by default.
1: Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I think... I also think, I mean, Devin Dodson's a player that you can have in there in any situation. Um, yes. you, you want him in the game in any situation. If you're up by five uh, heading into the final minute and a half, you want him in that game. Uh, and, and we've mentioned this previously. Azubuki is, is just, he's just one of those players that, you know, he's very good at what he does. But what he does is a very narrow, yeah. um, very unversatile it, style of play
0: it's a very limited skill set right he, and he's dominant in that skill set but he's not going to branch out from that nope.
1: and then who do you think wins coach of the year
0: scott drew i think he, you can wrap that up for him right now people expected baylor to be good this year but not this good right. um and and he'll get the credit he deserves they'll they'll give him that award right
1: um so anything else you want to add uh, on the Big 12 before we move on to some bold predictions?
0: Um, well, I'll, I'll move on. I'll, I'll kind of combine what I want to add on the Big 12 and a bold prediction. Um, doesn't feel super bold, um, but in, Texas is going to fire a shot smart. Um, they're going to go really hard after Chris Beard, and there's going to be a lot of speculation on that for two days before Chris Beard signs an extension with Texas Tech. Texas turns attention towards John Beeline, and that deal gets done pretty quickly. I would expect b to be on Texas' sideline next year. Cool. What about you? I know you hate these, but give me a bold prediction.
1: <laughs> what would be interesting, though, is Arizona State winning the Pac-12 regular season championship because that's also going to happen.
0: Yes, 100%. Uh, and I agree with you on those four conference tournaments, with the exception of the SOCON. I, I think we get a really awesome... East Tennessee State, UNC Greensboro game in that championship game, and I think UNC Greensboro wins. That's the,
1: that's the one. I think that's the one team that that really um, has me doubting ETSU. Um, yeah. But yeah, no Arizona State winning the Pac-12 just for a second is wild to me. Well, the fact that Arizona State could finish in the you know number one, and there is a legitimate way for UCLA to finish second or third um, is crazy considering where they both were in December. Oh
0: my goodness. Pac-12 <laughs> after dark, man. Wow. Yeah.
1: No, it's it's insane. And, and does,
0: does Mick Cronin win coach of the year or does Bobby Hurley win coach of the uh, year?
1: I think if Arizona State does win out, so they, they win both games in L.A. and then they win both games at home to the schools from Washington, I don't think that there's any – argument not to give it to Hurley because yeah. while they did struggle in the non-conference though, none of those losses, I mean, they're, they losses. Th- these are Arizona state's losses, Colorado in mm-hmm. uh, Japan, I believe China, Japan,
0: yeah, um, the non-conference conference. game. Yeah. Uh,
1: Virginia, which is now not looking as bad. Uh, and I get it. I, I hate that argument too, but they're, they're lost to Virginia. I mean, Virginia's a pretty good team now. Um, they, can't, they still can't they've won score, eight of their last nine. but they, their defense is just as good as it's always been. Uh, St. Mary's, which is probably a tournament team, um, or at least right on the edge. Creighton, which is you know a potential top four seed uh, in the tournament. Arizona, um, at Arizona. Oregon, at Oregon. Uh, and then Colorado, their only bad loss really is at Washington State. But that was the loss that kind of sent them on this seven-game win streak where they beat uh, UCLA, USC, Stanford, Oregon um, in that yeah, in they, that time they, frame.
0: They've picked up the wins to make up for that. Right. You know?
1: Yeah, because, I mean, that that's – they've just kind of – because I think people are still convinced that Oregon and Colorado and Arizona are the top three teams in that conference just by the way it's been covered.
0: Well, they are the the most popular teams. They have the star players. From a TV standpoint, that's what you sell. Yeah. Um, but Arizona State has been the most fun, and they're a lot of fun to watch. It is so chaotic the way they play and just so frantic. It, it, it feels like you're watching a game with 2K where somebody is just spamming the, the sprint button the entire time. Yep. That's how it feels like watching them play. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun and it's it's really discombobulated and, and frantic, uh, but they're getting the job done. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. No. And, and I think I think down the stretch they win all four games. Um, I don't think they win the or the Pac-12 tournament because um, I think they do wind up losing to one of those three teams. But they they are a team that has kind of just resurrected their NCAA uh, tournament hopes so good on them
0: absolutely Um, it's gonna be a lot of fun to see what they and everybody else does uh, over the next week week and a half March is Sunday conference tournaments start next week it's the best time of the year make sure you're ready for it thank you guys for listening for my co-host Connor Hope I'm Brian Ralph we'll talk to you guys next time